Please rise for fun fact. (laughs) (laughs) Fun fact. In the 1920s, a Portuguese man very nearly got away with a massive counterfeiting operation by making his counterfeit bills real. Oh, man, I saw that story. That was like the other day, right? I saw it was like amazingly long. There was a great Mastodon thread. Mastodon thread. It was the first great. It's, it's alive. Mastodon. The first great Mastodon thread. And I did you, I, like you, I suspect, we'll find out in a second. I actually like clicked into some of the links on this because I was just like, that's cool. And it's a it's a good story. So I'm very excited to take our listeners on a journey. So I'll, I'll link to the <laughs> link to that Mastodon thread. I I followed the Mastodon thread and followed the references and this is definitely one of those historical story about shenanigans and schemes and <laughs> crimes that happened. We're definitely time. on scheme corner. Okay, scheme corner, absolutely. For We're sure. also on would uh, seriously plague CGP Grey corner in terms of <laughs> if you want to run down every single one of these and be like okay well like yeah. wikipedia says this yeah yeah but yeah, yeah. is it i'm like some parts of it um like so in the mastodon thread i pulled out some of my because I, I i there were some facts that were in the mass in mastodon thread that i were in wikipedia and right. they were yeah. in maybe this in this podcast that they linked which was like mental floss or something like that yeah. there's very little content on the internet that doesn't just seem like rehashings of one of those or yeah the other. it's always that way right you end up it, it just ends up being circular i think that's what cgp gray finds so often is like you're trying to find the original and everything is just pointing at yes. some other thing and you're like well but that's not the original yes and so this one was pretty bad for that like there wasn't any like national geographic article or there wasn't like other mm. uh, outlets that i feel like they have at least some amount of fact checking and verification going on right. in this thread and so i paired back some of the to me like fun but then particularly poorly sourced parts of okay. the Mastodon thread um, so this is this is a more well checked version of that thread this is a slightly more constrained part of okay. it because and some of the stuff in there was also fairly hyperbolic right yes well and also what's like I, I feel also much safer when i describe something as like i try to in my path through here which we'll get started on uh, <laughs> i try to kind of hint at what's the parts that are obvious speculation or we can all just infer what happened as okay. opposed to the parts where it's like where it seems like fairly clear that these things happen well that's a lot of meta meta conversation that's let's more get than into necessary this. amount of meta conversation yeah let's get into it it's fun but here here is what as far as i can tell the factual parts of this story um tell us so okay in the 1920s uh, a Portuguese man very nearly got away with massive counterfeiting operation by making his counterfeit bills real. It's a genius idea. It's a genius idea. Can't, they can't be counterfeit. They can't be counterfeit if they're real. If they're real. Yeah. Um, so in our first scheme of the year, we visit Portugal. Uh, the man's name is Alves dos Reis. Uh, or was, I imagine. I mean, it's in the 20s, so he's uh, that was 100 years ago. He um, is dead. Past, I, past he, is dead. I, he is dead. Um, <laughs> he got his taste for schemes at a young age when he decided to leave Portugal for the colony of Angola, which was a por- Portuguese colony at that time, uh, to make a name for himself. And, but, you know, of course, making a name for yourself does seem like a lot of work. And so it seems he forged a diploma from the Oxford Polytechnic School of Engineering, which does not exist. Uh, the George Santos of his day. <laughs> Um, now, some critical engineering, you know, hiring managers might check in on uh, a diploma from 
um, a school that doesn't even exist. Um, but supposedly he made the pragmatic choice to apply for a job overseeing railway repair in Angola. Um, also, there was like some claims that it that it actually started as sewer repair before he went to railway railway repair. I couldn't find any reference to that at all. But that makes it even better if that's true. Um, but definitely, like, a, yeah, it seems consensus that it was a uh, not particularly desirable engineering job. Um, and the stories say that he and when he did get the job, he was going in and like uh, being more willing to like go in the field and like you know people saying, oh, here's some schematic. What's wrong? And he's like, well, let's let me. I'll go out there and look at it with you. Like, you know, maybe because mm. he didn't know, right? Mm-hmm. But then he got a good reputation as a good worker or whatever, built people's trust or whatever. Um, but uh, so he, he did that for a time in Angola. Um, but he was, by his nature, a schemy sort of fellow. Um, and um, he ended up before too long in jail in Angola for attempting to buy a failing Angolan railway using the railway's own government bailout funds. That's also brilliant. Yes. I, I will tell you, things like that, I mean, are you familiar with the situation that happened with the Pittsburgh Penguins a no. few decades ago? So they're, they're, the Pittsburgh Penguins NHL team had a very popular and uh, incredibly talented player named Mario Lemieux. Maybe mm-hmm. you've heard of him. Of course, all Canadians have. Indeed. And they they he signed all these big contracts, and then they he took all these, like, deferments on the money okay and the team ended up going bankrupt Hmm. and he ended up being the largest creditor right and he ended up with the team ah all right so he became owner of the penguins i do know he became owner but i didn't realize that's how yeah (laughs) (laughs) so you know you can do there's some shenanigans that can happen there yeah i feel like uh, the lemieux case there was a little bit more uh, legit than this. Like, he, he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah. This, whereas yeah. The, this guy Reyes, uh, it seems like he figured out that the, the railway was good for it, um, because of, uh, they, they were getting a bailout. And so he like wrote a bad check and then like, there was like an overseas trans transfer and he tried to get the railway to cover the check, like the, the railway that he had then supposedly bought to cover the check that he could, that was going to bounce. Supposedly. Anyway, uh, so he he was uh, that's not the, the scheme. That's like warming up the scheme engine. No, that's a that's like a warm up scheme. That's yeah. like getting the scheme. I think most big schemers have to have a baby scheme. At least one. Yeah, you got to, you know, get your feet wet. Yeah. And that's the one that's made its way 100 years later in through a fraught period in Portuguese history through to our sort of sense of history and so right. one would guess if that he's doing that kind of thing he probably had some much smaller schemes like i had i had a f- couple schemes in high school like you know oh. i think we all did right you've schemed i don't know if we all did really we can talk about that another we talk about that another time <laughs> they were legal i don't uh, think i did that any okay illegal schemes I, well i can't wait till we do alan's scheme corner but okay <laughs> fine. i'll make a little mr. note uh, mr alvis alan's schemes um um, so he ended up in jail for this scheme, and it seems that he was a little embittered by this affair. He'd come up with a perfectly good scheme, yeah. but someone stuck their nose in it and flagged it all as fake. Ah, uh, no, you hate people's noses. I know. know. It caused trouble. He thought, well, what if I make a scheme, but then my, made my fake gains real? So he did, Ooh, right? So what okay. he did, first, once he was out of jail, he forged a contract from the Bank of Portugal, the Central Bank of Portugal at the time, which authorized him to print banknotes in return for a supposed loan to help Angola, which is where he was. I feel like the era where you could forge contract. I mean, I think it's much harder to get away with this kind of stuff today than it was then, but there was a nice era of contract forging. Mm-hmm. 
It does come up a few times in our yeah. in our schemes. Yeah. And so we forged this contract from the Bank of Portugal. This says something along the lines of, oh, our man Ray is here. He can print some banknotes. It's fine. They're for Angola. So it's it's all good. NBD. NBD. Signed here by the head of the Bank of Portugal, the same guy whose signature was on the banknotes. And look, hey, the signature's <laughs> the same as on the banknotes. Well, that's so, you know, that's that, so easy to check. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh but if he was to take that letter, as impressive as it was, and go and just start counterfeiting notes, then he knew that he would be caught out, and regardless of whether or not he was supposedly authorized by the, mm. the bank. Mm-hmm. And so he started out building a team, an A team of sorts. Well, actually, kind of more of a B team, people that he knew and that trusted him and had business contacts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he brought them in, and he described to them not that he was doing a crime, because well, yeah, that's generally a bad idea. Well, depending on your crime, sometimes you need to let people in on it. it does- it, it's true. It is true. That's part of why this got as far as it did is because he did not describe, okay, let's all do crime. Um, no. He said, I have been given a secret mission by the government of Portugal. Yeah. Yeah, you can't tell anyone. You can't tell anyone because, as you all know, the Portuguese government has been having a hard time struggling as, yeah. politically. Indeed. And there's the corruption right. that's been going on. And, yeah, you we know, all know. We, I, we all know, right? Yeah. Um, but they really want to support Angola. By printing some banknotes, okay? Okay. But if the press got word of it, then there'd be political blowback. Angolans wouldn't get their money. It would be sad for everyone. So if we can all work together, fulfill the secret contract, get those notes printed, help the Angolans, and then, you know, of course, we can keep a hefty fee for ourselves. Yeah. Right? Then win, 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 win. Yeah, I'm in. Where do, where do, where do I sign up? Can I still participate? Is it too late? Um, I think the offer may have expired. We'll get oh, to that. That's a shame. Okay. <laughs> so they, they, this he gets this group uh, together, and uh, meanwhile, while he's doing that, uh, Reyes walked into a notary, uh, got uh, talked them them into notary. Like apparently, it's like the junior notary. Uh, they were convinced <laughs> to notarizing the forged contract. Then he had th- once it had been notarized by a notary, then he was able to get three embassies uh, to certify the notarization to like make it even more like stamped and. F- whatever oiled or whatever that they do to say like yes this is really really whatever it is um and i'm not entirely sure if that certainly doesn't do anything for like the legal standing of the docket but it makes it 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 impresses people impresses people it's sort of it's a little bit more butt covering if somebody looks at the document and you're like it's been signed by three embassies and you want a lot of butt covering right but not too much i assume you don't want too much it is getting a little bit like you protest too much at this point but it is a contract for printing banknotes like it should be fairly like hardcore i guess yeah. right yeah, yeah yeah for sure anyway so he's got this oh and then also he apparently he attached two crisp banknotes just like from circulation like just that he got from the bank or whatever <laughs> like actual banknotes to the contract uh say so, you know, see attached as a sample of what banknotes he's allowed ah, to that's amazing right? um and so one of his associates had a contact at a respected dutch printing firm and so they set up a meeting with this Dutch printing firm. They reviewed the contract, looked at the real sample of banknotes. It seemed plausible to the Dutch, although they were probably a little bit suspicious. Um, but the the Dutch said that the original notes, because they, they knew they're in the inside of the industry, they said the original notes were printed by Waterloo and Sons of London. Mm. So if the new notes are supposed to be identical, it's going to be really challenging for anyone to get them identical. Why don't we put you in touch with Waterloo, who printed the original notes? Yeah. And Race's team's like, oh, yes, of course, that makes perfect sense. And Race is like, uh, yeah, uh, um, okay, yeah, sure, let's, uh, let's talk to them. I think that'll be fun. <laughs> uh, 
Um, to be clear, that's one of these sort of unsourced parts of the story. Like, we don't know how Reyes actually responded to the, mm. this proposal. Maybe he was excited about it. Maybe he was horrified. That seems, I think it was exactly like that, though. But I feel like it was like his team who thinks this is all legit is like, thinks yeah. this is a great idea. And he's like, yeah, well, like oh, it's getting hot. <laughs> it's getting hot. Yeah. Um, uh, and indeed, it did seem that Waterloo was a little bit surprised by this request coming in from these randos instead mm. of from the government. Mm. Um, but Reyes' team explained that there's a very hush-hush job and the letters of confirmation would soon follow from Lisbon, which, uh, of course, letters did follow, very forged letters. Um, yeah. But the letters came from Lisbon saying that um, there was a, that, that this is actually legit. Um, and apparently that there was like an additional letter from the bank that really really was from the bank that got lost in the mail or to the bank or something like that, supposedly. <clears throat> Again, yeah. things that like we'd have to go to a bank. Um, a library, perhaps in Portugal, to really go and, and <laughs> chase all. You the- did wait. You didn't do that for this. You know what I was thinking about? It's just been a busy month. Okay. Um, All right. The fun factors will forgive you <laughs> this time. But when our Patreon hits the next level. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that. We will have yeah. independent fact checking. So yeah. it seems that uh, they were sort of, you know, convinced by the the letters. But they did find it odd, the printers, found it odd that some of the serial numbers that were being requested had already been used. Yeah, that's right. That that becomes a big deal, right? You're kind of not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. No. Apparently, Reyes had figured out um, like the system that that predicted all of that kind of stuff, but didn't have a full um, cataloging of which ranges of, of bills had been printed or whatever. And so instead of doing the, um, oh, yeah, thanks for the reminder, uh, maybe don't print those ones, mm. um, which would have, I guess, maybe flagged them as like these people are just effing around. They're like, oh, no, no, that's on purpose. Uh, you see, the bills are for Angola, and there the serial numbers won't be present, so it's fine. Yeah, it's not going to matter because the two bills will never be in the same place because no one takes money, yeah, money from one place to moved, the other. Cross the international borders. Everyone knows that. They just burn up like, you know, it's like Harry Potter. They just disintegrate when you yeah and so in february 1925 they received 100 million escudos worth of 500 escudo banknotes which you might be curious how uh, is this a relevant amount of money is this a little bit is a lot is one percent of portuguese portuguese gdp at that time okay so however much that is that's a lot because one percent of american gdp would be hundreds of billions of dollars right i think in the trillions of dollars yeah. yeah yeah um so to portugal this is a huge amount of money and uh, the counterfeit money was perfectly indistinguishable in every way because, because it was, it was made real. by the people. <laughs> it was made by the people who actually made the rest of the money, <laughs> and they made it to the same from the same plants and everything. Yeah. So it's just like, all right, you've just created real money out of nowhere. Yeah, um, there's just more money in the world. Which you know, we could get into a complete discussion about why that's always how money is created. That's yeah, always how money but, is created. But that's fine. But <laughs> these were not the people who were supposed to be doing that. Yeah, they didn't have the magic wand to do this. Yes. Yeah, indeed. Although they kind of did, right? Like they made the magic wand kind of. Yeah, they, they um, made a magic wand. Yes. yes. And so they started to launder the money. They were all rich. Um, but of course, this is supposed to be a totally real operation for the government. Um, and they had rather a lot of shady cash on hand. And so th- what they did is they started their own bank, the Bank of Angola and Metropole. That's so smart. <laughs> where they could deposit the funds. So then the funds don't have to all hit the market all at once. Yeah. Um, and you're just giving them to people as they become customers of your bank. Exactly. And you're getting real money for the... It's so And exchanging smart. money with like... Because they were doing like foreign exchange and try, yeah, trying course. to get it out of the country. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Like a reasonable thing for a bank to be doing, it's, it seems like. It's so smart. Like... If it's it's why you know it's that old that old quote uh you know they asked a famous bank robber i think his name was eddie sutton that's off the top of my head though like why did he rob banks and he said that's where the money is yeah yeah, exactly like you know (laughs) 
And so, and then, but so something that's kind of like a funny part of the story is that the whole story was supposed to be that they were doing this to help Angola. Yeah. And so Reyes is like, okay, well, you know, now we need to like all help Angola because like that's what this is all for, right? And everyone's like, ah, yes, okay, mm -hmm, yeah. And so they started actually like legitimately doing like development projects in Angola and like buying up farmland and stuff like that. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, this huge infusion of cash into the country caused apparently a temporary boom to the Portuguese economy. Yeah. Um, they pr they had printed almost as many of this 500 uh, banknote as had already been in circulation. So they like doubled the amount of notes in circulation. <laughs> um, but the whole thing wasn't a slam dunk in Reyes's mind. There was still a nagging concern that the Bank of Portugal would eventually discover the scheme, the orders, the contracts, and all of that, and it would all come crashing down. Yeah. So... Conveniently for him, the Bank of Portugal was still a private entity at this time. <laughs> and he controlled one of the richest organizations in Portugal, the yeah. Bank of Angola and Metropole. Yeah, why not buy? Why not buy the central bank? Yeah. Then solving the problem once another, the snake fully, completely eats its own tail, becomes yeah. a black hole or singularity or something. Yeah, there's a Criterion movie called A Citizen... What is it called? A Citizen Above Suspicion... Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion... Where a police chief who is corrupt has been charged with discovering who the corrupt person is. Mm, mm, yes. You know. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. He. Yeah. That, this is kind of this guy. Yeah. Except he's charged himself with absolving any way for anyone to for have. anyone because then he's then he's then he's legit legit legit. Yeah. Then he's the central yeah. bank, and then yeah. the central bank is not going to punish him. Although, if this was like one of those. Uh, uh, HBO dramas, then it would just keep going until he had to become the president or something like that. Before. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so this is the theory is that he would be, make the ill-gotten banknotes legit once and for all. Unfortunately for a schemer, this did not go unnoticed. He's gotten to the point now where people are going to kind of pick up on this. Apparently, so definitely the the huge infusion of, of cash coming into the economy was like noticeable or and there was like yeah. a conversation going on about it. But the investments in Angola which was a Portuguese colony that apparently was coveted by the Germans mm. um, and investment attempts to take over the central bank at the same time <laughs> got the attention of journalists and investigators. Apparently there was like the, their spy services were like, this person is like maybe being like compromised by the Germans, like the money's appearing and we don't really understand. Like it's just like, it's flagging a whole bunch of flags. Mm. Um, and really the key question that they had, these investigators is something that you may be familiar with, or you've heard that question like this. If you follow any of these crypto companies over the last year or two, which <laughs> is this, Hmm, this financial institutions behavior all seems a little too good to be truey, mm, you know, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. there's just like money that doesn't, we really... don't have any explanation for. Yeah. And they all seem kind of like they're acting like it's legitimate, but yeah, mm, I don't know. It doesn't feel quite right. Uh, so the thing finally collapsed in December 1925. So they got the notes in February. By December, the investigators noticed uh, who are raiding the place and there's journalists and everything crawling over this bank. Uh, they noticed two bills with matching serial numbers. Ah, it came back Duh. and got it. But that bill was supposed to be in Angola. It was supposed to be in Angola and it wasn't. It was at the bank. Yeah. Um, this supposedly a legitimate bank. And so they ordered all the bills sorted by serial number and uh, revealed... There you know were many duplicates. You know what he should have done? What should he have done? When the when the Watertown people, that's mm, not their Waterloo. name. Waterloo. When Waterloo told him, oh, some of these serial numbers, we've already printed them. And he said, oh, yeah, those are for Angola. He should have said, 
But could you give us a list of which ones those are? Because we want to make sure those end up in Angola. Yes. Let's make really just double check. Those. Let's just double check all of those. We'll do that. And then you just destroy all those. You take Or just hit. like hold on to them for like an emergency. Or, yeah, or whatever. You know, you just yeah, keep don't them. just like mix them in with all the rest. You're not just like, ah, no one will notice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so then uh, on December 6th, the bank's wealth was confiscated. Reyes was erected, arrested and convicted. And uh, within a few months, um, the government collapsed into dictatorship. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah, which I believe he is somewhat credited for potentially helping to create. Even the Wikipedia article itself says that the like records of this time in Portugal are not great. Yeah. Um, and so... You know, we struggle often with history to say, like, what really caused the Great Depression? The, yeah. One of the most studied things of all time. Yeah, what yeah, really yeah. caused this uh, government to fall or this war to start or whatever? And apparently this fall of this government in, in Portugal, like, there had been many problems and corruption and stuff like sure, that. And so for it sure. was, like, sort of expected that it was going to pro- maybe it was danger in danger to fall. And so it's difficult to see which of one of the various uh, snafus that was going on in the government was the, the, the contributing factor. I, it can't have helped. But going in, printing 1% of GDP and almost and, taking over the private bank and undermining trust in institutions. And yeah, exactly. Destroying people's opinion of the, the legitimacy of their money. It's, 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 yeah. It probably didn't help. It almost certainly did not help. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's two things you didn't mention that I'm curious. Well, one of them, I, which I just find it funny. The other thing you didn't mention that I remember being struck by, but I assume the reason you didn't mention it is probably not well supported by any sort of fact. at least any online sources maybe. right is that so he he went he was he was convicted right and he went to he went to jail for like 20 years mm. but he got out and supposedly he was offered but refused a job <laughs> as a bank employee that is in the wikipedia article yeah but it's not cited so I just, there's no i that's just that's such a weird <laughs> detail yeah. to put in and have no like i feel like if, if you're gonna put in a detail that weird you need to have a site for it and i bet that's the one that like cgp gray would spend like mm-hmm. a year trying to find out who offered him this job why why did he say no what <laughs> like yeah. you know all those what kind of stuff. job was it was it just a teller job or like yeah like what who did he have a friend from his days what and the other thing is that that there have been uh various like you know um tv shows and movies and stuff about this but in, apparently in 2000 there was a 50 episode yes. portuguese television series about this that i believe is true and i that's phenomenal and i'm not surprised like I, this would totally no, this could like yeah. catch me if you can as you know is one of my favorite movies which involves counterfeiting and con games and stuff like that and this very much like you could imagine you know cast a, a charismatic young guy that that just loves to talk to people and that people love to to be yeah. around and have him run this scheme and and get them all like worked up and glad and have some tense meetings with the printers and stuff like that. Like I, I'd produce, I'd produce. Well, did you, did some... you ever watch any of La Casa de Papel on no. Netflix? Money Heist. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Oh yeah, it's good. So uh, I supposedly so it it but it starts with a, a criminal mastermind thief plan to uh, steal the money from the royal mint of Spain. It's a Spanish show. Nice. It's wildly popular in Spanish speaking countries. You should give it a try. Cool. Yeah, well, I've had some good success on Netflix watching things that are not in English, which stereotypically in English-speaking countries were very snobby about that. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I should give that there, a try. There's also a uh, remake of it in Korea. Okay. Called Money Heist Korea Joint Economic Area. <laughs> but uh, I think I would start with the Spanish one. Anyway, that is phenomenal. And you know what? You're never going to believe this. Mm. Mm. I 
have a fact that is also takes place in the 1920s. Ooh. And you could call a scheme. All right. Well, if I can call it a scheme, you know me. I will. Yeah, you for sure you will. And it's this might be the first ever all scheme. All 1920s scheme episode. All 1920s <laughs> scheme episode of Fun Fact. What was going I'm not on sure it would even would be the first all yeah, 1920s might, scheme not, episode. It might not be. We love 1920s schemes. Yeah, it was a good time for schemes. Fun fact. Hmm. Jaywalking wasn't always illegal in the USA. In fact, it was once the normal way to cross the road. I have heard such a thing. I've heard that there's certainly maybe scheme, certainly uh, some shenanigans going on. Yeah, so I, I've always heard that as well, and I finally like looked into it, and it's pretty schemey, and, mm-hmm. fa- and I found it fascinating. So it basically, you know, the, the, the existence of the car starts right around the turn of the century, right? So like late 1800s, early 1900s. But until roughly the 1920s, there you go, hmm. the city streets didn't really become, they weren't really car-focused places. They were basically just a large public space. They were shared between pedestrians and push carts and horse-drawn carriages and street cars and just playing children. Children would just play in the street. Yeah, and it's interesting. You can see some videos, or I've even seen them in Vancouver yeah, or other cities, totally. of just like what it looked like around turn of the century or I guess And it's just packed ago. with people. Yes. Yeah, people walking everywhere and yeah. and the horse yeah. carts like go quite slowly. They, they work people. their way through. Everyone yeah. has to get out of the way of a street car. That's about it, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't even until the 1910s that there were any crosswalks. So mm. and no one and people just ignored them. Mm. Right? Pedestrians went wherever where they wanted, and other than the streetcars, it was everyone's job to avoid the pedestrians. Mm. But as the car started to take over, the number of motor vehicle deaths grew very rapidly. So from essentially zero at the dawn of the 20th century with no cars around, it grew by 1923 to almost 18,000. Right. In the United States. And most of those were pedestrians, not drivers. So this is a sudden epidemic. Right. And most of those pedestrians were elderly and children. Right. And people were outraged, understandably. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially because cars at that time, they were they were definitely like not an everyday purchase for people. Right. They were considered like a toy of the ultra rich. Right. And now, now they're killing people everywhere. Yeah. And so it seemed like your optional pleasure, you're like fun thing is like just killing our children and our grandparents like yeah. you know it wasn't like the the fundamental fabric of our lives that we expect today it was like so it's just like get it get the get out of here with this and so when when cars would hit people and the cases would come in front of judges the judges would almost always rule in the pedestrians favor sounds great <laughs> it yeah for real i mean the sensible thing was they would be like well which of these two is larger and more violent yeah that's the one at fault right it's like pretty clear i think it probably should still be that way and uh, most pedestrian deaths resulted in a charge of manslaughter being filed, no matter what the circumstances were. So it's basically mm-hmm. like you hit them, that's your fault, and you know, you're which is the way it would be it. if you did if you killed someone in any other way, right? Like, like, like going around with a bulldozer and you drove over them. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> it would not be like, like oh, well, they didn't get out of the way of your bulldozer. Oh yeah, I didn't it's see like, them. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It was rainy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was going 100 kilometers an hour. What were you going to do? Yeah, I mean, you know, there was a curve. I don't know. Yeah. So so as the deaths rose through the teens and into the 20s, there were a bunch of anti-car activists, hmm. and they were pushing various measures that were requ- requiring cars to have what they called, I think they were called guardians, but it's like a speed limiter. Yeah, sure. And, and this peaked apparently in 1923 in Cincinnati, where 42,000 people signed a petition for a ballot initiative hmm. that would have capped car speed at 25 miles per hour. All right. I dig that. Which, 
I think for the day was actually probably pretty fast. <laughs> um, nowadays, that's like the slowest speed in a non-school zone here, right? So, well, there's like, currently, uh, as you may have heard, or I might even mention on the show, there's a push in a lot of cities, maybe come to America a little bit later than the rest of the world, <laughs> to make 25 miles per yes. hour the default city yes. speed limit. Yes. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of movements. Uh, I think Sweden has been very successful. The Netherlands has also been very successful, where you basically set up the roads so that instead of and actually they're actually trying to do this in San Francisco as well, uh, not very successfully yet. Uh, the where you try you don't try to eliminate accidents, but you try to eliminate f- accidents that could cause fatalities. Yeah. So you design your cities so that there's no situations where someone would be hit with enough force to likely cause a, a, a fatality. Yeah, and a lot of that just ends up down to like, well, how do we get people who are driving on the street to feel like this is a slower street? It's not like a freeway. It's not like a highway. Right, totally. And, and narrower curbs closer to the vehicle and various things that you can do to kind of trigger people to drive it. Totally. They do some really smart stuff in the Netherlands where like instead of having the cutouts and then having the crosswalk be like lowered it's actually raised Mm -hmm. so it looks to drivers like you know that's someplace they're not they're not supposed to be yeah and those kinds of things at any rate in cincinnati they in 1923 they tried to push this initiative and the local car dealerships reacted as you might imagine they contacted every car owner in the city and they took out large advertisements against this initiative sure of course I, i saw i found uh one of the um like cartoons one of the ads they put in the paper oh, okay I'm, I'm sending this to you now and i think what i what i find fascinating about it is both like i just find it like amazing but also it's so shockingly similar to something you might see in a newspaper oh, God. today okay all right uh, <laughs> so, so am i reading this <laughs> yeah go ahead it says vote no do not yeah. help to build a chinese wall around cincinnati and make it unanimous Let's make it unanimous. And then there's a wall. Um, yeah. It's a, it says, to the motorists, welcome to our city. But then it's crossed off. And then yeah, it says, they're not the city welcome. wall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then it says, like, Dayton's 50 miles. Here's a detour to Columbus. Not needed in St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> like Tourists you know, must buy a governor or be fined or jailed. Or jailed. Dun, yeah, dun, dun. Dun, dun. So at any rate, it, 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 they, they won. The dealers won. And that the lesson of that sent the sort of national dealership associations into like a lobbying frenzy Mm -hmm. and they wanted to make sure that this was not done in other cities as well and most notably they got involved in a series of meetings being held by the then secretary of commerce and future dam herbert hoover (laughs) to influence the contents of the 1928 model municipal traffic ordinance okay which was a model federal law that was like made available to cities like hey right these car things are new we put something together for you you could just use this or modify it in ways that would be useful for you and that model law required that pedestrians only cross at designated crosswalks and only at right angles oh interesting yeah, but still, even with doing that, people didn't follow the law because it's stupid. Yeah, and the police and judges didn't really enforce them. Hmm. So then the industry got really schemy, and they took steps to try to shape public opinion like more directly. So one of the things they did was they set up a wire service okay. where newspaper reporters could send in the details of a local traffic accident in their jurisdiction and get complete articles ready for printing the next day. Basically, okay. like you don't have to do the work. We'll so we do it will for write you? the article for you, right? Based on information that you send that you provided, but those articles would always assign the blame to the pedestrians. <laughs> it's basically what the gun lobby does nowadays, right? It's wow. like, wow, yeah, it's like we're well, just gonna shade everything, you know, a certain way. So the tone of all those articles is basically like newspaper reporters. We know you're lazy, 
We know you wow. don't really want to write wow. about this. Yeah, wow, it's wow, incredible. Wow. And the other the big thing they did was they just shamed people. Hmm. So they published cartoons and papers like we saw, but they published other ones like pretty ridiculous ones like about, uh, you know, like people tripping in front of cars sure. and all kinds of stuff. And and they um, they tried to shame people who were crossing the street, you know, quote unquote, illegally. And they would do things like they they lobbied the police to like instead of. Uh, um, to publicly shame people who were crossing by shouting at them or whistling or carrying women back onto the sidewalk. Wow. Instead of like quietly reprimanding them or just giving them a ticket. Right. And they would save this. They had these like safety campaigns where they would hire actors and dress them in like old timey clothing or as clowns and then have them like cross the street illegally to like show people. One of the, the, the most ridiculous one that the article I found mentioned was in 1924 in New York. There was a campaign where they had a clown who was marched in front of a slow-moving Model T that just kept driving into him. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And then, finally, because, of course, I cannot, I cannot avoid Etymology Corner, even if I'm on Scheme Corner, <laughs> I have to find my way to Etymology Corner. They also invented a new term. Okay. Uh, jaywalking. Jaywalking. So, where does jaywalking come from? Because I never thought about that. Do you have any idea? I, did, um, I don't. I just think of, like, a J. Jay as kind of like, kind of like joyful or clueless. I don't know. You see, that sounds great. No, so Jay at the time was apparently slang for somebody like a like a like a rube or a hick. Okay, someone who was from the sticks, someone from right. the the suburbs who didn't know how city life. So went. we call it like hick walking. Like people, country folk, would come in and they're hick walking all over our street. Exactly. Like, why are you hick walking over there? Yeah. And so right. a jaywalker was someone who was too backwards and uncultured to know how to cross a street. Right. And at the time, that was like a, actually a very offensive term. Oh. Apparently, pedestrians started calling dangerous driving J-driving, okay. which I think we should bring that back. <laughs> That's amazing. But like there's in the same article, there's a like use of jaywalking term, like, you know, chart of like how it became used. And it's like just starts in the 20s and just, you know, goes all the way up. But like so basically they created this idea that it, there was something wrong that people were doing hmm. by completely like. By a combination of making it illegal and then literally like shaming people, and it, the, all I want to say is that that this is all ridiculous, and I think it, it, it's a, a, a statement of how quickly we forget our history. And it, but luckily, finally, a hundred years later, it's now been a hundred years since this started. California just la- the end of last year passed the Freedom to Walk Act. I like it. Yeah, which legalizes almost all street crossing. Nice. So, like, you know, it took 100 years. We're finally starting to realize that designing your city just for cars sucks. It really causes a lot of problems. Yeah, it really does. It's awful. Yeah. Total mini addendum onto that. I read on Mastodon today. <laughs> Mastodon is a, is, it's a happening thing. Yeah, apparently that moving to, to having a commute where you can walk to work is, is oh, I saw correlated yeah, with happiness totally. as much as falling in love. Yeah, like if you apparently, yeah, if you switch to a job that like is farther away, it's like basically causes some minor depression. Mm-hmm. And if you switch to a job that's walking distance, it, it it brings as much happiness as falling in love. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, apparently, I just see at the bottom there's apparently a ninety nine percent invisible episode about this because of course there is, of the course there is course from twenty thirteen. So I will also link to that, and I'm excited to sell oh my god these posters i'm excited to uh link to some check of those that up. out yeah yeah exactly yeah but i just it just drives me crazy it's like you know you invent a problem it's kind of like um 
the stuff with uh to, to let's dip our let's find one more third rail to walk on in this episode. <laughs> it's kind of like the stuff with Elon Musk and the Boring Company. Oh yeah, the people were saying that he's like do was doing that Boring Company stuff just as like kind of a stunt to try to pull distract um governments from building proper pub, public transit themselves. Yeah, basically they go to different they went to a bunch of different cities and convinced them that rather than building proper public transit, he could solve other problems with these tunnels. And then they got all these contracts and then just ghosted all the cities the right. minute they canceled their deals. And it, it it's, you know, it, the, the, the worst part is this has happened before. Like, if anyone listening, I, mean, I should, probably should have just done a fact about this, but I don't think we did. But, like, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the ridiculous cartoon movie, mm-hmm. is actually based on a true story oh. uh, about uh, basically a conspiracy, a no, like a proven conspiracy from the, I'm going to say 20s again? But I don't know. In Los Angeles and other places where the, like, uh, car manufacturers basically killed a bunch of like street cars and stuff like that, mm. like intentionally to make driving more necessary. And uh, maybe I'll do a fact about it at some point. But um, the the boring company, yeah, they're basically just like they just got a bunch of cities to cancel their infrastructure projects, sign up for the boring company, and they just completely ghosted them. And it's like it's not it's not a real thing. It's a nonsense idea to begin with. He was just going based on his you know Elon Musk personality characteristics, which I guess will hopefully be harder for him now yeah but it just, i imagine it, they will be thankfully he's just trying to make sure that you know tesla is the answer and i mean like you know listen i love electric cars you love electric cars mm-hmm. but like the future of our cities should be no cars not electric cars like electric cars are a great stopgap to get those emissions of other cars off the streets while we still live in places that are completely impractical but you know there's a a youtube channel i i love that i'll i'll link out to as well called not just bikes which yeah is a that's guy a good one from yeah, a guy from Canada who moved to um, uh, the Netherlands and talks about how the Netherlands is designed in these incredible ways, specifically to uh, create you know public transportation as a so that you so that it's such a car uh, bike heavy place. And you know, having lived in the Netherlands for six weeks a, a year ago and having been there many times, I can say it's it is remarkable. Like there is public like the bike lanes are great. Even in like small, the small village we were living in, where we were living on like on a dairy farm in the middle of nowhere, had like better bike infrastructure than any place I've ever been in the United States. Mm-hmm. Right? So like it's yeah. it's literally everywhere. Yeah, and that's a good channel. You should link it up. And I think one of the things that's like starting to change in a lot of conversations is it used to be ten years ago, a lot of what I would read would sort of have this idea that in dense cities we should make them more pedestrianized because right. dense cities can support walking. Right. And now the, there's a lot more general kind of, you know, consensus certainly overstates it because it's there's still some yeah it's a lot of yes. going on or whatever. But For there's sure. a lot more people writing and research talking about uh, that pedestrianization and supporting walking and rolling and uh, and lower uh, like slower vehicle um, traffic can work really well for cities of most sizes and that it does not need to mean that you all need to live in manhattan and you should all just you know afford no i mean a home in the most expensive city in the world or whatever so that you can walk i think the netherlands is actually very instructive in this area as well because prior to the 1970s they were not a it's not like they were always some bike paradise they were had a lot of the same problems that we have in most american and canadian cities and they just made a concerted effort to change that because the minds of the people uh, changed, so their urban planning codes changed. So they, you know, actually made those changes, and it took a long time. And they're not even done. Like there are places in the Netherlands that are still not great. They're just like slowly working on it, and it's completely changed the fabric of their society. Because it turns out that if 
getting places on bikes is more convenient, that's what people will tend to do. And one of the things that they do is that the quickest route between two points in most Dutch places is on bicycle. Right. And the cars have to take the long road and there it takes longer to go places by car. So at that point, you're only doing that if you need to go by car for some reason. And I will say also that driving in the Netherlands is actually really delightful um, because it's it's so like unstressful and pleasant, partially because there aren't as many cars on the road and partially because the speed limits are really well thought out and there's roundabouts everywhere and all this kind of stuff. I really love it. Like when I go from California, which is one of the most stressful places mm-hmm. to drive, I know, to Germany, I'm like, oh, it's so nice here in Germany. Oh, it's so much less stressful. And then when I go from Germany to the Netherlands, I have that same level of like, oh, this is so much nicer than Germany. Nice. So. Anyway, I just, you know, let's all just get together and cross the street. Yeah, do it. Doesn't make yeah. you a J. Don't worry, we won't judge you. Yeah, no J's here. Those are J drivers. J drivers. Yeah. Um, so we have a, a couple of follow-ups. Yeah. We got some feedback. We love receiving feedback. Uh, you can hit us up. Hello at funfact.fm. Uh, yeah, we got to get that. We got to get the Mastodon spun up, huh? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, let's do that. Um, yeah. And, but so, 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 or email, uh, social, social media, you can send us your feedback. We love to get it. And we got feedback on a couple of things over the last little while. And the biggest one was uh, about Australian toilets. And so we had <laughs> a throwaway so comment. It was so great. About like, oh, do we think Australian toilets swirl the other way? The other way, which, which is just a dumb joke. It's a dumb joke. There's a Simpsons episode, I think, that they yeah, were in Australia. And they had yes. like a a toilet that would like force the flow the other way around or whatever. It was like ridiculous, like $50 million toilet. Yes. So that Americans would feel more comfortable. Yeah, and then, of course, they also loot it. Um, but we got yeah. some notes from Australians that that <laughs> toilet was not necessary. Uh, Clark, Clark wrote in. Uh, Scott from Mudgee wrote in as well. Um, both very uh, verifiable Australian uh, friend of the show, Clark O'Clark. Friend of the fl- friend of the show, Clark O'Clark. Um, Hard to say. And I Scott, know. not really. <laughs> I'm just struggling <laughs> <laughs> to inform us that um, that uh, that. Australian toilets don't swirl. No, because they're more like, and I should have thought about this, but they're more like European toilets, right? Which are not designed with that same mechanism. There, there's just like more of a shelf situation, and they're much lower water right. use, and you have to. So they're lower wa- more, water use, and they have a different prioritization. So I thought this. Yeah, was there like, is more scrubbing involved. Yeah, there's say. an article which um, I can I'll link in um, the show notes of, that describes this trade off. But there's basically. Um, in uh, uh, global toilet design, there's the North American style, and then there's the global sty- style. The global style um, prioritizes using the water that it does use to get yeah. the waste that's in the toilet down and out of your dwelling. Just, right. just like get it as far down the pipe as just you can. Go, go yeah. away, waste. Yeah. North American ty- toilets are less concerned about that. They prioritize swirling it around the bowl to try to make sure that the bowl is sparkling clean and there isn't any uh, pixels left afterwards. Right. They're trying to, they're concerned with you having a clean bowl, whereas people in the rest of the world just use a scrub brush. And, you know, I will also say one of the big things that's different in, at least in Germany of toilets is that they're like more like built into the wall Mm. and they don't have this like back that you could take off where you need to deal with Maybe because the flap design is different. They don't have that failure point. You don't have to deal with any of that. And they feel much, much, much more like built in and sturdy well, the, uh, than they do here. The As I understand it, the American style, which is generally what we also have in Canada, 
um, requires more maintenance. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Requires more maintenance because the fact that all of the force from the water is worried about swirling and not so much about clearing means that the waste ends up more often clogging just like a few inches past the toilet. That makes sense. There's not that much force coming down. Whereas if you use like a European toilet, it's like it's all down. down. It feels more like a more like a commercial toilet at like an office building. You're like, I'm not going to clog this thing because that's what they're they don't that's what they're worried about yeah um so that's that thanks uh um to the australians for correcting us we always enjoy um having our facts corrected it's particularly fun when uh uh, we we have one like this i have a self-follow-up which is that we we you did a kelp fact i did last time and we had this conversation about like oh maybe someday i wonder if we'll eat kelp like would that be a thing and then i with the episode came out and my wife heard it and she was like we literally put kelp chips in your in our son's lunchbox like almost every day, <laughs> and I pack all his lunches, so I'm the one who does that. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I literally feed him. He loves kelp chips, and it just like didn't even didn't occur even occur to, to me you. at all. The future because is now. It was something about the two feet per day or whatever. I think it's like you know, yeah, uh, yeah. By the way, I also actually I have a second self follow up, which is that I wanted to see if anyone noticed this. No one wrote in, so maybe no one did. But I think I be- I believe I said that you can't kick a football in American football, and like that's obviously not true. I'm pretty sure I mentioned that you can kick it. Occasionally. Yeah, you can. You can definitely occasionally kick it. I would just say that kicking is not a major part of the process. That's not the primary way the ball gets no. around. No. Yeah. Kelp chips. They're delicious. Have you tried them? Um, I don't know if I have. I've gotten into, well, I've gotten on this side quest looking for a replacement for my favorite chip that only I'm only a person in the world that cares about, which is cinnamon chips. Have we talked about this? Uh, yes, but no, I don't believe we've talked about it on the show. I like sugar and cin- cinnamon sugar flavor. It's like one of my favorite flavors. The cereal is great. Cereal's a bit much. I'll have like, this is like the, <laughs> the toast, French toast, cinnamon, yeah. toast tr- crunch. Cinnamon, cinnamon toast crunch. Yes. Um, although Karen got me apple pie version of that for Christmas. Ooh, Cause okay. we'll not was normally it, eat garbage was it, for cereal. Was it good? Uh, I, I liked it better than the normal Two cinnamon bites, toast. toast yeah. You just can't eat that much of it. Yeah. Um, but what I can eat a lot of is cinnamon chips. If they're just the right one, there was a limited, well, it wasn't supposed to be limited edition. There was Pringles cinnamon chips that were made from like sweet potatoes that I just ate ridiculous amounts of years ago when they came out. I don't think I've ever even had cinnamon chips, but okay. Well, I don't think I've ever even seen I think I'm the only chips. one who likes them, so they keep making them, and then I buy them and eat, live exclusively on them for right, like and a no few one months, else, and then they get discontinued. They get again. discontinued. It's just like uh, me and Cable Sasser are the only ones. So, that are well, he, he does know. Yeah, he does like yeah. a good snack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't well, know why I brought that up, but I felt like it was really important for the fact that <laughs> <laughs> I want cinnamon chips. I, don't I guess if anyone would like, you know, if you're wondering what to get, you know, Alan for his birthday. Cinnamon chips. Send some cinnamon chips. Yeah, do it. Send them to Fun Fact <laughs> P.O. Box. <laughs> hello at funfact.fm. Yeah, send them send the chips to hello at funfact.fm. Yeah. Just get them right in the pipe there. Yeah. 